Star Walker Studios presents Game Master's Journey, your multi-dimensional RPG podcast. Hello, fellow gamer. Welcome to episode 254 of Game Master's Journey. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker. On this show, we discuss the craft and the art of game mastering. I've been running RPGs for over 28 years now, and I produce this show in the hopes that you can benefit from my experience, my triumphs, and my mistakes. So I want to welcome you back to Game Master's Journey. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. Hope you uh, enjoy our time together day- today. Uh, this will be a discussion episode, and today I am going to review Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage, which is an adventure that Wizards of the Coast put out for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I Actually, it, I guess it'd be better to say it's a, it's a series of adventures or, or possibly even a campaign, um, depending on how you look at it and how you approach it. So I was actually planning to talk about this product uh, in the last episode, episode 253, um, but I had so much feedback and, and other things to talk about uh, that I ended up putting this off because there's a lot um, to say about Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Uh, this is a pretty sizable book. Um, there's a lot in here. And so I quickly realized last week that uh, I needed a full episode to talk about this. Um, wouldn't be time to cover feedback or, or anything else like that. So um, we did that last week. We, we took care of a lot of the feedback and, and some responses to previous topics we've talked about. Um, so today we're going to talk about Dungeon of the Mad Mage. All right, so as I said, today we're talking about Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Just to get some of the basic stuff out of the way, um, this is a hardcover book, uh, just like all the other 5th edition books. Um, similar in, in every way, you know, paper, binding, all that good stuff. Uh, here in the U.S., uh, cover price is $49.95, uh, $65.95 in Canada. And, you know, it seems like most, if not all of the fifth edition books are $49.95, even though they vary a bit in size. um, This is definitely one of the meatier uh, books for fifth edition as as far as the adventures or or campaigns go. Um, This bad boy is clocking in at 320 pages, including um, the appendices and, and stuff in the back. Um, so it's a it's a pretty good size book. Um, so this is the kind of fifth edition uh, revamping of Under Mountain. Under Mountain is a Forgotten Realms uh, mega dungeon that's been around uh, for a long time, at least as far back as first edition, I believe. Um, has seen numerous iterations. I personally remember the Undermountain box set, which I believe was a second edition product. It might have been a first edition one. I'm not sure. Um, I believe 
there was some treatment of Undermountain in third edition. Um, fourth edition, I, I have no idea. Um, I didn't uh, have much to do with fourth edition. But Undermountain's been covered before in, in D&D history. Um, and it's a dungeon I've always been fascinated with. Um, it's something I've always wanted to either play some of it or take a stab at running some or all of it uh, just because there there's so much history and it's been around for so long. And, and it's just uh, when I first started playing D&D back in high school, I remember seeing the Undermountain box set and thinking it looked pretty cool. So this is Undermountain for 5th edition. Now, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of experience with the previous uh, iterations of Undermountain, so I'm not going to really be able to talk about uh, how this differs from previous iterations, um, how it's the same, uh, that kind of thing. That'd be an interesting thing to, to look at. You know, what, what did they change, if anything? Um, what did they take away? All that good stuff. Uh, but Undermountain, in addition to the the core kind of mega dungeon, there have also been um, additions to Undermountain created and published through the years. And this does include bits or pieces or or ideas from from some of those. So it would be really interesting to to know, you know, how much how much of this came from the core Undermountain, how much of it came from other uh, addendums to Undermountain. Is any of this real or new? For fifth edition, uh, I don't know. So uh, if any of you know any of that, uh, feel sh- feel free to let me know. You can shoot me an email at gamemastersjourney at gmail.com and I can I can pass it along because I'd be I'd be curious to know. So in approaching this product as far as to do a review, um, I, I think there's two, basically two ways you could approach this product. And assuming you have any intentions of running it at all. I, I know there are some people who will buy these adventures or these campaigns uh, just to read them. Or I, I shouldn't say I know that. Um, <laughs> I I believe there are, or, or it's possible there are people out there that do that. Um, it, at least it seems like Wizards believes there are people out there uh, that do that because they seem very, um, it, it seems very important to them to write these campaigns or adventures for fifth edition in such a way that they're um, as entertaining as as can be just to sit down and read. Um, unfortunately, in my opinion, I think they go a little too far with that and and it undermines the utility of these books at the gaming table as far as if I'm a GM going to run one of these uh, adventures, um, they could definitely be written and laid out in in a way more conducive to running at the table and, and more friendly to DMs actually trying to run it. Uh, might not be as friendly to those just sitting on the couch reading it. But at the end of the day, I mean, these are adventures to be used at the table. And, and I really wish more of the focus was on that um, instead of trying to please these people who just read the adventures to read them if those people are out there. Um, Now, I've read pretty much all of the 5th edition adventures and and definitely haven't run all of them, but I mainly do that for the sake of this show so that I can tell you about them. I definitely don't particularly enjoy reading adventures, especially if I have no intention of running them 
or if they're just not grabbing my imagination. Um, for instance, the last adventure I reviewed, which was um, the the other water deep adventure, um, Dragon Heist. Um, I didn't particularly enjoy reading that adventure because I didn't really have any interest in running it and nothing that I saw while I read the adventure made me excited to run it. So um, it was, for me, slightly, honestly, less interesting than reading like a college textbook, (laughs) to be honest. Um, So yeah, I don't know that there's really that many people that, that just read and enjoy reading adventures just for the sake of it. Um, but I guess Wizards thinks they're out there and they're a sizable enough demographic to to pander to them somewhat. Um, so, you know, this does have um, a lot of or all of the failings of the other 5th edition adventures as far as running them at the table, as far as, you know, the way the books are laid out and the way the information is presented. Um, not always in the most accessible format for when you're running it at the table, being able to find information quickly. Um, Not a lot of bulleted lists in here, not a lot of, um, you know, concisely presented information. Instead, everything's in paragraph form. Um, And, you know, sometimes you're going to have difficulty finding what you're looking for at the table. But if you're at all familiar with the fifth edition adventures, then then you're already familiar with that. And and this um, definitely is similar in, in those regards. All right. So in the very beginning of the book, we we have a key for the various uh, maps in in the book. Um, so instead of each map having its own legend, we we basically have one legend at the at the beginning of the book uh, for all the maps that, that shows the various symbols and and what they mean. We have you know our overview of the adventure, um, explanation of abbreviations, and a very important table in this book. I think here on. Uh, the first real page of the book, uh, page five, uh, lists the character advancement, which is to say the different levels of Undermountain and the recommended character level uh, to undertake that content. Now, I should point out that on the back of the book, it says that this adventure is for characters of level five to 20. So this does not start at level one as um, extensive as these adventures are, it actually does not start at level one. It starts at level five. So you're going to need um, something else for levels one through five uh, or, you know, just start new characters at level five. Now, of course, uh, you could run uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist uh, to begin your campaign, um, which is kind of, I think, what the folks at Wizards intended, uh, which does take characters from level one to five. Uh, but there are other options as well. You could run a couple adventures from Tales from the Yawning Portal. Um, if you run the Sunless Citadel and the Forge of Fury, which are the first two adventures in Tales from the Yawning Portal, uh, that will take characters from level one to five, and then you can go into Under Mountain. Uh, you could also run uh, Lost Minds of Fandelver, which is the adventure in the beginner box. Uh, that will also take characters to level five. Um, and, and there are other possibilities as well. For for instance, uh, Storm King's Thunder has some kind of beginning content that y- you could possibly use uh, if you wanted. Or, you know, really anything from any of the other uh, adventures that 
that Wizards has produced or or you could come up with your own stuff to get the characters to level five or you could just start them out at level five. There's there's a lot of options. But but this uh, series of in- adventures here in this book uh, does start at level five, not at level one. Um, again, it claims to go to level 20. Um, I'll leave it up to you to decide if you think it really does that. Personally, I don't see that. Um, the last level of the dungeon uh, is for level 17 characters and might get characters to level 18, um, but I don't see it getting them to level 20. But we'll probably discuss that a little bit more when we get to that part of the book. So this table here on page five uh, lists out all the different levels of Undermountain and gives you the appropriate player character level. And it, it doesn't say it here, but it does say at the beginning of each of the separate adventures, um, the party size is designed for. And I believe they're all designed for four characters. Um, so we have here actually in this book, we have 23 levels of Undermountain. So uh, 23 separate dungeons, really. And these dungeons are loosely tied together. Um, and there are ways, uh, they're, they're all connected linearly, which is to say you can start at level one and descend all the way down to level 23 in order. Um, however, there are ways to skip around going forwards as well as backwards. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, so I, I was starting to say earlier that, that there's kind of two ways I think you can approach this product. And basically, again, assuming you're actually thinking about running it, um, and those two ways basically are approaching this as a campaign, which is to say you're going to run all the adventures or try to run all the adventures in this book in order, um, taking your characters from 5th to 17th level and beyond. Or the other way you could approach this is uh, just a collection of adventures slash dungeons that you know, you can pick and choose from and and use in your campaign or or use for a one shot or uh, whatever you you want to do. So we we had an, another product uh, for fifth edition Tales from the Awning Portal that was um, just a hand or a, a collection of adventures um, that you could tie together in a campaign. They weren't especially suited for that. Um, there was a little. Um, bit of guidance given for that in that book as far as you know how to tie them together um not a whole lot though and and those adventures were definitely never created with the intention of tying them together um so this book is a little different in that there is a little bit more connect connecting these adventures together um they were originally you know part of under mountain which was conceived as as one connected thing um, so, so it's a little bit more conducive to running this whole thing as a campaign than say Tales from the Yawning Portal. But I will say that I think personally, if you're going to do that, that you're going to want to do some extra work to, um, con- connect the different adventures together and to give your player characters compelling reasons to explore Undermountain and to continue exploring Undermountain and see it through to the end or, or see it through at least for as far as you want to go with it. Um, there, there is some of that in here, but, but if you really want a satisfying campaign, I, I think you're going to want to add quite a bit more. So there are 23 levels of Undermountain, uh, described in here. So 23 different adventures you could run, um, starting at fifth level. Um, so we have the dungeon level at fifth level, the arcane chambers at sixth level, 
And then from then on, uh, we have two dungeons uh, per level. Um, and, and so kind of the idea here is um, the player characters are going to have to go through two of these dungeons to advance a level. So at seventh level, we have the Sargoth level and Skullport. At eighth level, we have Twisted Caverns and Willowwood. At ninth level, we have the Lost Level and Mad Goss Castle. Tenth level, we have Slither Swamp and Dweamer Core. Eleventh uh, level, we have Murals Gauntlet and Troglodyte Warrens. Twelfth level, we have Maze Level and Trobrian's Graveyard. Thirteenth uh, level, we have Arcturia Doom and the Obstacle Course. Fourteenth level, we have the Crystal Labyrinth and Sea Deeps. Fifteenth level, we have Van Rack Doom and Caverns of Ooze. 16th level, we have the Runestone Caverns and the Terminus level. And then at 17th level, we have Shadow Dusk Hold and the Mad Wizard's Lair. Again, we're told that each of these levels uh, contains enough monster XP to ensure that characters uh, who clear the level will advance uh, appropriately. Um, as I've said in previous reviews on this show, um, every time I've seen this claim made and I went and did the math, it, it wasn't really true. Um, I haven't gone through and done that with this, um, but I would assume uh, that there's probably not enough XP to advance the characters if, if you're using uh, monster XP and encounter XP. Um, so, you know, you're going to probably have to come up with more XP somewhere. And also, you know, again, this is assuming that they clear every single room, uh, which a lot of groups probably won't do that. Now, one thing that is cool here, and, you know, I'm always looking for useful things uh, above and beyond just the particular adventure. And, and here's one of those is we have some ideas for bonus XP awards. So these are awards that you can give out um, for things like overcoming traps, uh, exceptional role-playing with key NPCs, um, things like that. And they have a little chart here that uh, of a guidance for that, for how much XP to give for, for instance, overcoming a trap or, or for role-playing. So for character level first to fourth, they recommend you give out 50 XP. For fifth through 10th, 250 XP. 11th to 16th level, 1,000 XP. And 17th to 20th level, 2,500 XP. So, you know, obviously this is something you could use with any adventure if, if you're wanting to give out XP for traps or for role-playing. And if you're using, um, you know, encounter-based XP for your leveling, um, right here's a great guideline how much XP to give to that. Why this isn't in the DMG, I don't know. It should be. Um, you shouldn't have to shell out 50 bucks for an adventure just, just to get this tiny little table there. Um, yeah, it would have been nice to have that in the DMG, but but there you go. Uh, next, we have a dungeon history section. Um, a little mention of the Yawning Portal. Uh, I've discussed before the weirdness of the Yawning Portal uh, the fact that the Yawning Portal, the place, the uh, inn or tavern in Waterdeep is detailed in the book Tales from the Yawning Portal, which actually those adventures have really nothing to do with the Yawning Portal, have nothing to do with Under Mountain. Um, <laughs> you would think the Yawning Portal would be discussed and detailed here in uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, which is Under Mountain. You get to Under Mountain through the Yawning Portal so this book is where that information should have been, but it's not. It's in a book that really has nothing to do with the Yawning Portal other than the title. Um, 
So if you're going to want to run this adventure and if you want to use the yawning portal um, and if you really want that information, you're going to have to go buy a completely separate unrelated book uh, to get that. So that's um, far from ideal. Uh, next, we have some adventure hooks. Um, these are these are okay. They're not great. Um, this seems to be a weakness in every single adventure that Wizards puts out. They either uh, don't have any adventure hooks or the ones they have are pretty um, lackluster, um, to say the least. This has more adventure hooks than a lot of their products do, but none of them are, are terribly compelling. Um, I would definitely use them, um, but I would probably recommend that you come up with your own hooks that are going to tie into um, your player characters. Um, but one thing that is cool in here is um, one of the adventure hooks is a NPC who is asking the player characters to hand over any magic items and or spell books that they find that they don't want. And this NPC is offering rewards for those. So this is another one of those uh, little tools that, that you might find use in uh, above and beyond this adventure um, because you have here a table of what this NPC will pay for various magic items. Um, so it gives them in platinum. So I'll, I'll translate this to gold for you. So for common items, this character will pay 100 gold. For uncommon items, she will pay 500 gold. For rare items, she will pay 5,000 gold. And for very rare items, she will pay 50,000 gold. Uh, doesn't have a, a price for legendary items. Um, she will also buy spell books. So um, what she pays for a spell book is based on the highest level spell contained in the book. So for a book where the highest level spell is first level, she'll pay 50 gold. Uh, second or third level, she'll pay 250 gold. Fourth or fifth level, she'll pay 1,000 gold. And sixth or seventh level, she'll pay 2,500 gold. And then for eighth or ninth level spell, she'll pay uh, 5,000 gold. So that's what she'll pay for the entire spell book based on the highest level spell in it. Once um, she has paid a total of 75,000 gold for magic items and um, spell books, um, she's basically out of money and has everything she wants. And, and that's the end of that. Um, so the two things I like about this is first giving you um, some kind of guideline on if you want player characters to be able to sell their magic items, uh, how much money they could get for those. Um, so that's useful. And the other thing I like, also spell books, the other thing I like is that there's a cap on how much they can sell to this NPC. And I think that's a great idea if you're going to have in, in, say, one of your cities, maybe an NPC or an organization that will buy magic items to say, well, there's a, a limit to how much the PCs can sell to them. And, you know, you you might have different reasons for that limit. Maybe it's just an in-story reason of, well, it makes sense that this character only has so much money to spend or only needs so many magic items. Or it could be just a, uh, you know, you want to have some control over how much of the magic items you're going to let them basically uh, sell for for money. Another thing that that is kind of cool about this that I like um, in this section is in addition to a handful of quests basically that the player characters can get to to get them going in under mountain there are also some what they call future quests 
which are quests they can get later. So these aren't things that they're going to get at the very beginning, but but later on as they're exploring Undermountain, you can bring some of these other quests into play. Um, so it, it's nice to have those as well. But again, you know, if you're going to want to run this as a, as a full campaign, um, you'll probably want to come up with additional quests on your own. Next, we have a, a section called Undermountain Secrets. So in the back of the book, um, one of the, the appendices has um, basically a, a secrets deck, um, which are, it's a page with, with cards on it that you could, I guess, photocopy and cut out um, if you wanted to for some reason. Um, in each of these cards has uh, a secret about Undermountain on it. So there, there are various points in these adventures where the player characters will just get a random secret. And the idea is you draw um, one of these cards. So, you know, we, we've seen things like this before in 5th in edition adventures. Specifically, I'm thinking of the adventure Dead and Thay from The Yawning Portal had had a very similar kind of thing. Um, and there's kind of good and bad to this, you know, the, the good to this is, you know, this is good for, you know, if you're not going to run the entire, uh, all the undermountain adventures, you're going to maybe pick some of them or just run one of them or, or whatever, you know, it, it can be useful for that. Or maybe the, the player characters will skip some levels. Um, so in that way, it's useful that anytime they gain a secret, you, you know, you either choose one randomly or, or choose one to give them from this list of secrets. Um, so it's useful for that. Um, however, there's less uh, realism and and just uh, flow to it than if, you know, it was spelled out what secrets they got where. I mean, obviously, it would probably make more sense for given NPCs to know certain things and to say, you know, you learn this specific secret in these different places. Um, but you know, they're trying to think about all the different ways people might use these adventures. Um, so it's kind of a necessary evil, but, but definitely if you were running this as a whole campaign, it, it would be much preferable, um, to, to have specific secrets learned from specific NPCs or in specific places. But what are you going to do? It's kind of a necessary evil. Uh, next we have, so one of these secrets and, you know, I, I guess at this point I, I should point out, you know, this, is, this review is going to have some spoilers. So, you know, if you're playing in, in this campaign, I don't think you should listen to this review or if you're going to play in it, you shouldn't listen to it be, because it's going to spoil some things about the, the dungeon that as a player, you, you probably shouldn't know yet. Um, so one of those spoilers is coming up right now, um, which is one of these secrets and, this is going to be one of the the main weaknesses I think of these adventures, which which is some of the metagamey stuff that's going on, um, some of the Deus Ex Machina going on in this campaign. I, I definitely can see why it's all there, uh, but it's very metagamey, and the justification for these things is usually pretty weak, and that's even assuming that the player characters ever find out about the justification. So here's one of those things here. So this whole uh, series of adventures, this mega dungeon is based around this idea, um, already a very tired idea, I have to say, in fifth edition of some super powerful, insane wizard who, for whatever reason, created a massive dungeon complex. Already, how many times have they used this idea already? 
I mean, that's exactly the setup for Tomb of Horrors from Tales from the Yawning Portal. I feel like uh, there was a dungeon with a, with a similar setup in the uh, Jungle campaign. Um, I'm blanking on the name of it that they released a while ago. Um, and here we have this this idea again. Um, now, of of course, both uh, Tomb of Horrors and Undermountain were you know previously published ad- adventures by by different people from very different eras and editions of the game but when so many of the adventures that they're putting out for 5th edition are just rehashes of adventures from previous editions there are so many of those adventures why do they keep coming up or picking ones that have the exact same setup you know i i think one massive dungeon created by an insane wizard for for some kind of Lame reason is enough. I, I don't think we need more than one in a single edition of the game. Um, not when they were putting out so few adventures anyway. If they're putting out one every month, sure. Um, but when they put out one or two a year um, and so many of them are so similar, it's kind of frustrating when they literally have dozens, if not hundreds of adventures they could choose from if they must continue to just rehash old adventures instead of coming up with new ones. So anyway... <laughs> Was that out of the way? So we so we have a very similar setup here uh, with Under Mountain with this wizard Hallister who created this whole place. And he's insane, of course, because, you know, let's make this as cliched as possible. Um, so one of these secrets that we have going on is um, an adversary of the Mad Mage Hallister um, named Jehesira Kestelharp or whatever. So basically... <laughs> This is uh like a like a spirit basically. She she's existing in a bodiless state, inhabiting uh the dungeon. Um Hallister doesn't know she's there, but she's working to defeat and undermine Hallister so that she can control Undermountain. We don't really know why she wants that or why anyone would want that. Um while at the same time trying to avoid the notice of Hallister so he doesn't know that that she's there. Um, so there are magical gates throughout Undermountain, which are basically portals that allow travel from one level to another, so you can kind of skip around a bit. Um, so she is able to control those portals to some degree, and, and here we get into our first bit of metagaminess. Um, she's basically on the side of the player character. She wants to help them defeat Hallister without openly helping them because she doesn't want to really reveal herself. And, you know, we want to make this as contrived as we possibly can. And, and so basically um, she will limit passage through the gates, through the magical portals within the dungeon. And, and, and really this is a really metagamey way to let you, the DM, um, limit access to areas of the mega dungeon based on player character level, even though it's not really clear how this NPC spirit could possibly know what level the player characters are or know what level a, a given level of the dungeon is. Somehow she's able to know that and know if they're too low level to enter an area. And if they are, she won't let them through the portal. The portal won't function for them. So yeah, that's really a thing. I'm not making that up. They they put that in there so that you, the DM, can say, no, you can't go through this portal because you're too low level. Um, 
And yeah, you know, I mean, there's some glaring flaws with this. Um, first of all, it's just super metagamey deus ex machina. It, it, it's not really well justified. It doesn't really make sense how, how she would be able to do this or why she would even do this. Um, and, and it's really a very thinly veiled, really not veiled at all, um, way for the dungeon master just to control where the player characters can and can't go based on their level, which, I mean, you can't get any more metagamey than that. Um, but that's not even the worst part of it. The worst part of it is this feeble justification we're given for why this isn't metagamey and why this does make sense in the story is something that there's really no conceivable way the player characters could ever find this out unless they really wanted to find it out. And and they don't even know that there's something to find out. So, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, unless somehow you're going to have the player characters know this from the very beginning. Um, even if they do somehow figure out that Jehoshua is there controlling things and that's why they can't go through certain gates until they're high enough level even if they do somehow figure that out, it's good. It's not going to be in the beginning. It's not going to be the first time they can't go through a gate. Um, so by the time they figure it out, it's already going to seem have seemed very metagamey and um, contrived for a long time up to that point. And and this feeble explanation for why it's not supposed to be contrived is going to feel even more feeble than it is after they have to wait so long to find it out. And then they're like, okay, this is the explanation. This isn't at all satisfying. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's mentioned that powerful divination magic can, can find this spirit's presence. Um, but not even a wish spell or divine intervention will allow direct two-way communication with this spirit. So you know, even if they use heavy duty divination, which they're not going to have access to at fifth level at the beginning. Um, but even if later on they use heavy duty divination to find out there is a spirit, they're not going to be able to find out much because they can't actually talk to her. So super contrived. Um, this is horrible, horrible design here. Next, we have dungeon features. We have alterations of magic. Here we have more contrived metagamey stuff just to prevent player characters from being able to teleport into or out of the dungeon or being able to teleport from one level to the other. Um, the only way they can get around in the dungeon is to either just follow the path or use these gates, which again have contrived ways of, of restricting use of those as well. Um, I much preferred uh, how this was handled in Dead and Thay, where different portals or gates had different keys you had to have access to and had to find um that made more sense and seemed a lot less contrived and metagamey than than this solution oh and i guess dead and thay is another example of a huge mega dungeon created by a crazy wizard i i knew there were more that i was forgetting about and there's probably still more i'm forgetting about just in fifth edition so yeah, any kind of magic that allows one to leave Undermountain or transport from one level to another uh, doesn't work. Spells like Astral Projection, Teleport, Plane Shift, Word of Recall, etc., etc., etc. Sending spells also don't work, at least as far as trying to con contact Halister, the, the mage that, that's behind all this. So if, if the players try to attempt that, um, which seems pretty niche... <laughs> 
but I guess that could happen. Um, then there, there are some, uh, they, they basically get a hold of someone else instead who gives them some, um, uh, uh cryptic responses. I was going to say amusing, but they're not really amusing. I think they're supposed to be, but they're not that amusing. Then we have, you know, the architecture of the dungeon, doors, floors, ceilings, all that good stuff. Uh, we have a sidebar here, Halister's goals. Um, so you can choose one of these. They have six different goals that he might have. And, and this can have some influence on, on how certain things go in, in the adventures, possibly. Um, and also the idea is given that you can change these goals at any time because, you know, Halister's insane. So, so we, we, we're going to use that as justification to just do whatever we want with no justification because <laughs> that's good storytelling. Um, sorry if, if you can't detect the star- sarcasm there. That was uh, sarcastic. All right. Then we have discussion of the Elder Runes. So I mentioned how in Undermountain there are these gates or portals that take you from place to place within Undermountain. And all, all or a lot of those have Elder Runes which are basically modifications of the symbol spell where when you go through the portal, various random magical things, good or bad, could happen to you. All right, and and that's basically the introductory stuff in the book. Uh, the rest of the book is going to be the, the 23 levels of Undermountain that are discussed. And then after that, we have a chapter on Skullport. And then finally, we have our appendices, uh, Appendix A has monsters in it. So there are, I, I believe there are a few new monsters in here. And then also, um, if they use a monster from like Volo's Guide to Monsters, uh, those are reprinted here. Any monsters that aren't from the monster manual are in here. And and that's something I really like that they do. Um, you don't have to have, you know, Volo's Guide to Monsters and Warden Kanan's Tome of Foes to run one of their adventures. If they're going to use a monster from one of those additional books, uh, they reprint them in the adventure. So so they're just assuming that you have the monster manual. Um, so so I do I do like that. Um, among these uh, back here, we have Halister himself, who is a CR 23 wizard. We've also got the Arch Druid, um, Gith Yankee Gish, uh, some other uh, uh, Neothalid, Eulithrid, <laughs> a werebat, if you want another kind of were creature. Uh, next, Appendix B is the Elder Runes deck. So this is used to determine uh, what Elder Rune a given portal within Undermountain might have on it. Um, each of these runes has a bane or a boon effect. So either a, a good thing or a bad thing that could happen to you. And then the secrets deck that I already mentioned. And that is what's in the book. All right. So there are, as I said, 23 levels of, of Undermountain, um, 23 separate adventures uh, loosely connected together. And I mean, I don't want to spend all day talking about this um, and and doing a thorough review of each of the adventures would, would take forever. Um so I'm just going to kind of go through them, uh, maybe call out some highlights of ones that, that I think look particularly cool or I'm thinking I might use it sometime. And I'll kind of tell you the, the, a, a little bit of what's going on in, in each level. So the first one is called the dungeon level, and, and this is for fifth level characters. Here we have a bandit gang. 
Um, and we have bugbears and goblins in league with the beholder crime lord Xanathar. And this is a very common thing in these Undermountain adventures. Um, you'll see this in a lot of the levels of Undermountain where we will have two different factions who are in conflict and the player characters will have the option of possibly aligning themselves with one of those factions or they can fight both of them. Um, so if there's anything that begins to feel a little redundant when you're going through this book, it's, it's that, that so many of the levels are kind of have this setup of two opposing factions and the player characters can play one against the other. Really cool idea. Definitely gives some feeling of dynamics and, and like this is a living place to these levels of the dungeon. But after you see it over and over again, it does start to feel a little samey and repetitive. Um, and I think would definitely feel that way if you're going to play through all of this in a, in a single campaign. And, you know, I guess, you know, I haven't run any of these adventures yet. There are a few of them that I, that I would like to try running. Um, but looking through this myself, I would never want to run this as a campaign. I think it would become a slog long before you got halfway. Um, some of these, you know, levels are really cool and some of them not so much. And, and I think that will vary from, from person to person, from GM to GM, which of these you really like and which not so much probably will vary among groups. You know, some players will really like some of these and, and others not so much. Um, so I think it's going to be a rare group or a rare game master that's going to run every single one of these one after another in a campaign and, and be happy with it. I think what most of us will probably end up doing if we run any of this at all is kind of cherry picking uh, the ones we really like and stringing those together in a campaign or um, cherry picking ones we like and using them in some other campaign or story that, that we're already telling or, or going to tell. Um, I think that's how this product is going to be useful to most people. I, I don't think you're going to have a good time trying to play through all 23 of these in order. Um, they, there is a lot of variation here, but I mean, it's going to, they're all dungeons, right? I mean, um, they, so many of them have this setup of, of two opposing factions. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, you're going to see a lot of the same, uh, types of creatures over and over again. So yeah, I don't think that would be terribly fulfilling. Um, maybe if you did half of them, because again, I said that, um, after the first, two or three adventures, there's two adventures for every character level. So what you could do is pick one of those for each level um, and run that as a campaign. Um, because a another thing I wanted to mention when I was talking about that is I think that's going to get to be a slog when the player character starting at like, what was it? Seventh level, I think. They have to go through two of these levels to go up a level. Yeah, starting with seventh level, they have to go through two levels of this dungeon uh, to go up a level. And that's a lot of content for each level. I mean, it, it will take you forever <laughs> to get this and, and definitely would not be anywhere near the leveling speed recommended in the DMG of two to three sessions per level. You are not going to be able to play through two levels of one of these dungeons in two to three sessions. Some of them you might be able to play through one level in two to three sessions, uh, but no way could you do two of them. All right, so level one, the dungeon level, um, 
you know, we've got the, the Xanathar guild here, uh, which, you know, you've got the Xanathar and then he's got bugbears and goblins working for him. And then you have the undertakers, which is a bandit guild. And, um, you know, they're, they're not friends. So, um, that's, that's basically this level. Um, this level's pretty standard, you know, dungeon crawl fair. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would do this one probably with fifth level characters. Level two is the arcane chambers. Uh, this is for four, six level characters and claims to have enough XP to get them to seventh level. Um, here we have a tribe of goblins, uh, who oppose the Xanathar guild. And then the rest of this level of the dungeon is filled with sentient magical experiments and leftovers from the days when Halister's apprentices use this level as a laboratory. So characters might also encounter some drow elves, um, a gang of were rats, and perhaps members of a doomed adventuring party. So again, here we, we've got goblins, a uh, tribe of goblins. We've got the Xanathar guild. Um, we've got a uh, drow and were rat gang. Um, so, you know, some different factions of monsters and NPCs, uh, that, that, uh, don't all get along. And again, there's, there's possibilities here for the player characters to play one faction, uh, against another level three is the Sargoth level. Um, here we have the subterranean town of Strom Kuldur. Da, 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 da. We have drow elves. Uh, we have goblinoids and yeah so so this level um again we're following this this theme of of having a conflict between two factions so here are two factions are a house of drow elves and a tribe of goblins and hobgoblins also we have some sea hags on this level level four is a twisted cavern twisted caverns uh this is for ninth level characters here we have uh conflict between an abolith and a tribe of kuatoa uh, we also have more drow uh here from the drow house that was in the previous level and that's another thing you'll see uh throughout these adventures where like a, a certain faction like for instance this drow house will be on on a couple or a few uh adjacent levels so again, here, you know, this, this similar theme of we've got two factions playing off each other uh, in this level, it's the drow versus the Kuatoa. So again, I feel like already we're only on level four and it's already starting to feel a little samey to me. Um, again, you know, up to this point, it's been pretty standard kind of dungeon crawly stuff. Uh, now level five, we have Willowwood. Um, this is one of the stranger levels uh, in Undermountain. Um, in the, this is a subterranean, uh, forest, uh, guarded by a dryad or not. A, I'm sorry, not a dryad, a druid, an arch druid. And also, uh, probably the most interesting thing in this, uh, dungeon or not in this dungeon, in this level of the dungeon is, uh, the green dragon. Um, so, so this is pretty cool. We have a, a green dragon, which normally green dragons are, um, evil uh lawful evil i believe uh however this green dragon has an intelligent magical sword embedded in its skull and this is a good aligned magic sword uh who's basically taken over the dragon's 
uh, personality. So the dragon calls itself by the name of the sword and is a good aligned creature. Um, however, uh, if the player characters uh, remove the sword from the dragon skull because they're like, hey, we'd like a sentient magical sword, uh, then the dragon reverts to its evil alignment. Um, so this is a cool idea. Um, personally, if I was running this level of the dungeon, I would do it differently. Um because I think it would be more interesting to have the dragon's personality be a combination of that of the dragon and the sword instead of the sword just takes it over. And the other reason I would do this differently is I don't like what this says about alignment in that, you know, this dragon is lawful evil, but then it gets taken over by the sword and now it's neutral good or whatever it is. And then the sword's removed and boom, it's lawful evil again. Um, as things are now with the sword in its head, it's allied with the Archdruid. But if the sword's removed, the, the dragon just suddenly becomes the Druid's enemy. Um, so I, I just don't like how that, kind of what that says about uh, alignment or what you can infer about alignment from that, that like kind of like you're under control of your alignment instead of the other uh, way around. And um those of you that have listened to this show for very long at all know how I feel about alignment and how I handle alignment. Um, so yeah, it just doesn't fit with, with, you know, I don't use alignment to beat my players into submission and make them play the way I think they should play. Um, I just use it as a shorthand to describe, uh, various characters kind of outlook on life. So this idea of your alignment, just changing with a snap of a finger and, and it, changing your personality it just doesn't really fly with me so i i like the idea of the sentient sword in the dragon skull and that it has a, an effect on its uh personality but i think it would be a lot more interesting and compelling to have its personality be um some kind of combination of the personality of the sword and the dragon um as opposed to this like flipping a switch and now it's a completely different character um, so yeah, that's about the extent of what interests me in this level. Uh, we have a group of goblin werebats, which just seems really stupid to me. <laughs> um, a lot of the were creatures and, or like canthrops and, and D and D pretty much most of the ones above and beyond werewolves, uh, seem pretty dumb to me. Um, and I tend not to use them for that reason. Uh, level six, we have the lost level. This is for ninth level characters and, uh, claims will give them enough XP to get halfway to 10th level. Um, so here uh, we have Umber Hulks. And that's, that's basically it. I, I believe we have some Duergar in this level too. Um, this level is kind of weird. Um, there's not a lot here as far as uh, NPCs or creatures or even traps. It's a lot of empty rooms. Uh, quite a bit of treasure you can find as far as um, money and whatnot. Um, but it seems like it'd be pretty boring to explore. It's pretty expansive and not a lot going on as far as interesting encounters or, or things like that. Next up, level seven is Madgoss Castle uh, for ninth level characters. Um, this is kind of interesting. Uh, within this level, we have a miniature 1 12th scale fortress uh, in a cavern. 
that the player characters can actually enter. They get magically shrunk and they can uh, explore this miniaturized fortress, kind of like a big dollhouse kind of thing. Another interesting thing is there is a, uh, is it a fairy dragon or a pseudo dragon? Yeah, there's a fairy dragon on this level uh, who layers within this uh, miniature fortress but unlike everything else, when the fairy dragon enters the fortress, it stays its size. So it's kind of cool within this miniature fortress, the fairy dragon is the size of like a regular, like big dragon, uh, which is, which is kind of cool. Also on this level, we have a group of stone giants and yeah, they, there's a stone giants and then there's this miniature fortress. The miniature fortress is pretty cool. Um, at least it's a cool idea. Um, it's not really realized very well. There's not much of interest going on within the fortress, but I think you could um, take this idea of the, the miniature fortress and, and do something really cool with it. Next level is Slither Swamp. Uh, this is for 10th level characters. Here we have a Bullywug tribe and a group of Yuan T. So again, you see this repeating again and again and again. We've got two groups of monsters or two NPC factions uh, that are in conflict. Um, yeah, more of the same, just different monsters. Um, so this level doesn't do much for me because I could care less about Bullywugs or Yuan-Ti. Um, so this is just a skip for me. Um, there's also some sp spirit Nagas on this level. Next level, we have Dwemer Core. Uh, this is for 10th level characters. Uh, this level has an Arcanaloth, which is a type of Yugoloth, and a Night Hag. Um, and this level is kind of fun, kind of interesting, and, and is something I'd like to do something with at some time. Um, not so much because of the Arcanaloth or the Night Hag, um, but the idea that uh, it has here some of uh, Halister's uh, apprentices and it's kind of like a like a wizard school this is like hogwarts uh under mountain style um so lots of spell books here as far as treasure um so oodles and oodles of spell books uh that player characters can find and i just like the idea of the magic academy and we have these different apprentices that are in conflict with one another um, so yeah, some fun stuff in this level. This is one, um, I did at least like to mine for some ideas and NPCs and, and spell books. Um, spell books can take a lot of time to come up with for treasure. So there's a bunch of them in here you can just use. That's kind of nice. Level 10 is murals gauntlet. Um, this is for 11th level characters. So this has a bunch of drow elves in here. Um, one of Halister's apprentices and uh yeah i think that's that's the gist um we actually don't have the two faction thing going on here but yeah there's a lot of drow on this level next up is level 11 the trog troglodyte warrens guess what what you find here <laughs> this is for 11th level characters again and lots of troglodytes here some trolls twisted by magic and some some other things like uh some drow yeah some some dungeony stuff here drow and troglodytes there you go level 12 is the maze level uh this is for 12th level characters 
This level is a battleground between drow of a different house than we saw before and a tribe of minotaurs. So again, how, how many of these have there been where we have two different types of monsters fighting each other? Um, boy, they really uh, drove that idea into the ground. Um, so this time it's drow versus minotaur. Fun times. So that's the maze level. Um, yeah. Level 12 or level 13 is Trobrian's Graveyard. Trobrian is known as the Metal Mage and he makes uh, constructs. So lots of constructs on this level. The idea is this is where he would test his, his various designs. This is for 12th level characters. In addition to the constructs, there's a gnome on this level, some hobgoblins. Level 14 is Arcturia Doom. This is for 13th level characters. So one of uh, Halister's seven apprentices is a lich named Arcturia, and um, she's found later on on level 23 of Undermountain. Uh, but this level, level 14, uh, has her phylactery. Um, so, so that's something that players can hunt down. Uh, this level has some fire giants and some hobgoblins and also some drow. Level 15 is the obstacle course. This is for 13th level characters. Uh, this has some, uh, or a death tyrant beholder on it. Um, some dwarves, some magical traps, and some elemental creatures as well. Level 16 is the Crystal Labyrinth. This is one of the, the stranger uh, levels of Undermountain. Um, so this features Gith Yankee. Um, it has a gate within it that goes to Stardock, which is uh, in the Forgotten Realms, a hollowed out asteroid in orbit around the planet. Um, so part of what's detailed in this level of the dungeon is the Stardock, which is on this, this asteroid. So this is for 14th level characters. And yeah, it's got a, got a bunch of gifts on it as well as mind flares. So again, we have a conflict now between Gith and mind flares. There's also a red dragon on this level. So, you know, this is one, um, and there's one or two other, uh, levels in Undermountain that involve the Gith and, and things like that, that, um, may not fit into all campaigns. Um, because this, this brings, um, brings in spell jamming. So, you know, you're going to want to ax that out if you don't have spell jamming in your campaign, uh, which I would think most campaigns probably don't have spell jamming. Uh, that's definitely something for a very particular, uh, set of tastes. Um, so yeah, that this is one that, that may not be as useful to you. Um, if you're not just running this in the realms, uh, level 17 is the sea deeps. This is for 14th level characters. Uh, this has a eulithrid within it, um, as well as mind flares and gets Yankee level 18 is van rack of doom. This is probably one of my favorite levels in, in this book. This is for 15th level characters. And this level is named after a water Davian noble, uh, who turned to the worship of Shar. Uh, so this has quite a bit to do with Shar in it. Um, and this character ends up becoming a death knight. The, the thing I love about this level is also the thing I hate about it. Because the thing that I love about this level is this cool story about this character, Van Rack Moonstar, uh, who became a death knight. 
and is ultimately uh, or ultimately kills himself uh, with a sunblade in an effort to redeem himself. It's a really cool story, really interesting um, and awesome, but really <laughs> like it's all in the past. Um, so it doesn't really have any bearing on this dungeon and the player characters aren't going to be able to be involved in that story in any way. So yeah, really disappointing. So I think, you know, if I use this, I would like to do something more with that story of the death Knight. either come up with a good way, uh, for the player characters to have to, to, or be able to learn about that story and have it be relevant in some way. Or even better, have this Death Knight still be around and involve the the player characters in the story, um, you know, and maybe they're the ones that that lead him to redemption or something like that. So really, a missed opportunity there. Um, you know, this really cool background story that really could just be in the background, and the player characters will never learn about it or care about it, and and isn't really super relevant to what's going on now. Um, so yeah, kind of like a lot of this in this book, you know, I feel like there's some good stuff here, but if I were going to do much with it, I'd have to do a lot, like really kind of just take this as like a rough draft and, and I'm going to revise it and expand it and, and make it into something I'd actually want to run. Also on this level, we, we have a vampire, um, it's pretty cool. Uh, level 19 caverns of ooze. Uh, this is for 15th level characters. Um, here we have uh, two genies on this level, one of earth and one of water that are in conflict. See the pattern here? <laughs> and also the followers of the god of oozes and slimes, Ganadar. Level 20 is the runestone caverns, which is for 16th level characters. We have on this level a lich named Izat, um, who is an enemy of Halister. So the player characters could uh, fight Izat and, and defeat him or or maybe join forces with him to go against Halister, depending on, on how they're approaching uh, this campaign. Uh, we've got some stone golems, uh, modified stone golems on, on this level. Uh, level 21 is the Terminus level, uh, also known as the Deep Mines. This uh, level has gray dwarves within it and is ruled by a planetar gone dark side. This is for 16th level characters. This is also uh, where Halister keeps a lot of his failed monster experiments. So there are some uh, strange creatures in here. So we've got Duergar, we've got Yugalos. Next level, level 22 is Shadow Dusk Hold. Um, this is for 17th level characters, and this is the redheaded stepchild level <laughs> of of Undermountain. Um, we've been, you know, encountering all these cool mythic uh, supernatural creatures and beings from from different planes, um, different worlds, and now we have a family of nobles from Waterdeep who worship devils. I think. Um, oh. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, just really, um, I feel like this whole level is going to be a letdown and a kind of WTF moment for the player characters. What is, what are we doing? Um, we have some slots on this level. Um, so that could help redeem it a little bit. Level 23 finally is the mad wizards lair. Uh, this is for 17th level characters or higher. 
and claims will take 17th level characters to 20th level. I'm highly doubtful of that. I mean, this level of uh, Undermountain only takes up 12 pages in the book. So I really doubt that there's three levels worth of high level content in 12 pages here. Um, yeah. I don't know what they're smoking at Wizards, but I don't see how this is going to give them enough XP to get to 20th level from 17th, a party of four characters. I uh, don't see that. Um, so on this level, in, a, in addition to Halister himself, uh, we've got uh, a Pith Fiend. Um, we have a Deva. Um, other stuff too. I'm just calling out some of the highlights. Uh, an Archmage, a Lich, some more spell jamming stuff. <laughs> if you're into that, a demi lich. So, I mean, we've got some high CR monsters in here, but I still really doubt it's enough to get four characters from 17th to 20th level. Um, I honestly, I'm questioning whether there's enough to get them to 18th level, much rather 17th or 20th. Uh, and then, yeah, we've, we've got a chapter on Skullport. And then we have the appendices and that's, that's what's in the book. Now, one thing, you know, I got to talk about here at the end, a big part of this book, of course, is the maps. I mean, every one of these chapters uh, is a dungeon level. We've got 23 levels of dungeon. Each of them have at least one map. Um, however, uh, pretty much everything I said about the maps in my last review of Dragon Heist uh, applies to these maps as well. At best, uh, the best you're getting is a single page black and white map, single page of the book. Um, quite a few of them are even smaller than that. Um, quite, quite often you'll have two or more maps on a single page. Not terribly inspiring. <laughs> pretty, pretty basic, uh, you know, utilitarian, just the bare bones map that, I mean... You could come up with something pretty close to this yourself, probably. They do sell a map pack for this. Uh, however, you know, just reading reviews of it, um, most people are, are highly disappointed with that. Um, the maps are not any bigger in the map pack. They're still, you know, eight and a half by 11 maps. Uh, the only difference is they're on cardstock instead of paper. So, yeah, it seems like kind of a waste of money there there's nothing here that you can use with miniatures you know they're they're not big enough there's not a big fold out map like you know we've gotten in some of the other adventures um they're not high enough quality you're not going to be able to scan these and blow them up to to print or use in roll 20 with miniatures yeah they're they're kind of there i guess for the dungeon master to see what's going on but that's really about all they're good for yeah, it kind of kind of leaves me scratching my head. I mean, I remember back in the day, you know, I remember the Undermountain box set with huge poster maps, multiple poster maps. I don't know, uh, you know, that you know, for a certain type of gameplay, if you're doing all theater of the mind, I guess these maps are fine. If you're having the the player characters draw their maps, does anybody still do that <laughs> based on your descriptions? I guess these maps are fine, um, but they're not something you're going to want to show to your players. Um, you know, they have DM information on them. You don't have player versions of these maps that you can show the players. You're not going to be able to blow them up to use them with miniatures. So, yeah, um, kind of disappointing. The maps 
um, especially compared to maps we got in like, uh, for instance, Curse of Strahd had awesome maps. Um, a lot of the other fifth edition adventures had really great maps. Uh, Storm King's Thunder, Tyranny of Dragons, um, pretty much all. I feel like all the adventures had great maps except for um, this one in Dragon Heist. Not, not so great. Um, so definitely uh, would dock them at least a star on the star rating for the maps. So yeah, you know, it, it's hard to give a, a bottom line with this. It's such a mixed bag. Um, some of the adventures seem pretty cool or at least have potential. I mean, uh, I'll just be honest. I don't think one of these adventures in here, I'm super excited to run as is. Like, not one of them. Um, there, there are some of them that I think have potential. Um, Willowwood has some some cool ideas. Uh, Mad Goss Castle has some cool ideas. Van Rack Doom has some cool ideas. But in all these cases, the it's not really fully realized that the, the things that I think are cool about them aren't um, maximized, aren't played up to their potential. Um, so at least for me, any one of these would, would take a lot of work to really make it awesome. And I would never want to run all of these in a campaign together. I think it'd get really boring um, and really sloggy. And I think we, we get tired of it and move on to something else before we even got halfway. Um, so if you're wanting to run this as a campaign, I'd really take a long, hard look at it first. Um, maybe if you ran like half the adventures, cause a lot of times there are, uh, two dungeons for each character level. If you just, you know, pick the best of the two, uh, you might end up with something decent, um, or even better, just read through this and pick, you know, a few of your favorites and then come up with your own stuff to fill in the gaps or, or use adventures from uh, Yawning Portal or even uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh, which is the, the, the new D&D adventure product, uh, which is, uh, again, kind of a, a collection of loosely connected adventures that you could kind of cherry pick for uh, the levels that you need. So, yeah, um, it's kind of funny. This is definitely one of my more... One of the the more recent supplements for D and D that I've liked the the most, I, I like this a lot better than Dragon Heist. I like it a lot better than the the Jungle Adventure. I, I keep blanking on the name of it. Um, I like it better than than Storm King's Thunder. I wish they would do more books like this and more like Yawning Portal, where it's more just a collection of adventures as opposed to a, a solid campaign. Because the problem with something like, for instance, Storm King Thunder is because all those do tie so much together into a campaign, it's a little harder to just pick one chapter from that book and use it in a different campaign. So I do like these products where we just have a bunch of adventures at different levels so that we can kind of pick and choose the ones we want to use and, and use them in another campaign we're running or put them together into a campaign of our own creation. So I really like this book for this reason. I mean, right here, I've got 23 adventures. I, I'm sure I'll never use all of them. I'll probably never use a quarter of them, but I might, you know, here or there use a few of them. So so that's cool and, and much of much more use to me than something like Storm King Thunder that I'll probably never run. That said, more of the adventures are missed than hit for me. So just looking at it at as far as how many of these 23 adventures would I really want to run and does it seem worth it to me? 
Um, unfortunately not, because there's only a few of them that I'm really intrigued enough by to even consider putting the work into further developing them into something I'd want to run. So, you know, if you're a huge fan of Under Mountain and you want to see the latest uh, iteration of it, you know, you, you might really dig this book. Um, or if, you know, you're, you're just wanting some random dungeons to run for, for whatever reason, depending on your tastes, you, you might really like these books. Because, you know, a lot of these dungeons that don't really do it for me, it's not that there's anything inherently wrong with the dungeon. It's just, it's not my cup of tea. Maybe, you know, I don't care for the monsters they use. Like there's one that, that uses Yuan tea, which I don't care for, and Bullywogs, which I don't care for. So doing an adventure based on those monsters just makes me yawn. I don't want to do it. Um, but you might love Yuan tea and Bullywogs. So, you know, there's a lot of just personal taste to this. So, you know, this is more and more the case with these uh, fifth edition products. I, I think you really want to go somewhere where you can flip through a physical copy, um, take some time with it and decide if it's going to be worth it for you or not uh, to buy this book because it's not cheap. So I think for some people, it's going to be really worth it and for others, not so much. And you're just going to have to uh, make that decision for yourself. But hopefully I've told you enough here that you at least have a good idea of what's in here, what I think of it, some of the pros and cons. And, you know, again, something to really consider about this is, is the maps and low quality of the maps, uh, especially if you're someone that uses miniatures and, and you want to have like nice, beautiful maps to use your miniatures on, um, you're going to have issues with this. So yeah, that's something to consider as well um it, it is pretty lacking in the maps and and the maps are all black and white um I, I don't know why they couldn't have put some color to them um probably would have helped a lot with the the presentation yeah it just the it just seems very lackluster to me as far as the maps considering that this is a mega dungeon and such a huge part of a dungeon is the map and, and in fact I feel like a really well-crafted dungeon. All you really need is the map and the key to what's in the rooms. That's all you need. Um, the most important parts. And that's really where this product falls down for me. So again, um, I, I can't really recommend this or, or not recommend it. It's This one really comes down to personal taste and, and how much of this uh, you really think you're going to use. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for episode 254 of Game Master's Journey. If you'd like to get a hold of me, there are a lot of great ways you can do so. Shoot me an email at GameMastersJourney.com. Follow me on Twitter at Lex Starwalker or call my voicemail 951-GMJLEX1. That's 951-465-5391. You can also join our community of listener GMs on MeWe and Discord. And you can find links to all those great things in the show notes at starwalkerstudios.com slash Game Master's Journey. If you have any questions or feedback on the show, I'd love to hear from you. And I'd love to hear what you think about Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Love it, hate it, somewhere in between like me. Um, let me know what you think. And uh, you know, if, if you have anything you want to point out that I missed, because I mean, this is a, a huge <laughs> tome of stuff. Um, and just by necessity, I, I kind of flew through it. So, you know, if there's anything really important that you think I missed, let me know and I'd be happy to pass it along in a future episode. If you enjoy Game Master's Journey and you'd like to help support the show, the best way you can do so is to check out my self-published supplements, D or 
my self-published D&D supplements, if I could speak straight. Um, the most recent of which is Relics of Power. Um, we're working on an update to that right now. Hopefully, we'll be out in the next week or two or three. We're just finalizing the layout. And uh, we have updated the Hinterlands of Alondria relics all the way up to 17th level. Um, so those of you who have purchased Relics of Power already, you will receive that update for free uh, when it comes out. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, yeah, thank you to everyone who's published my D&D supplements. There are other great ways you can support the show as well. You can find all the different ways you can help me out at starwalkercos.com slash support. I hope that you have a chance to play your favorite RPG this week. I hope you have a chance to run your favorite RPG. I'll be back soon with another episode of Game Master's Journey. Until then, game on. This has been a Starwalker Studios production, your source for quality gaming and hobby podcasts. This episode's music, courtesy of Cloudwalker, Transboy, Renfield, Stanko, and Ish. See the show notes for more details at starwalkerstudios.com slash Game Master's Journey. Journey.